Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. We'll begin in verse 27 and go through verse 40. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, there's a pew Bible there for you to follow along. You can turn to page 1012. And again, that's Mark chapter 14, 27 through 40. And there it's written. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away for it is written. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. If you would please bow your heads in prayer. O holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Happy New Year. Welcome to 2022. Can you believe it? We made it. We made it. Two years of a pandemic, and by golly, we made it. We can, we, we can say it's over, right? Not yet? We don't know. I'm not going there. And my note here in my sermon says to now make a topical and funny joke about how many New Year's resolutions are already broken. I guess that's the joke. See, the, the origin of New Year's resolutions dates back further than the United States. It goes back further than the Romans. It goes back all the way to the Babylonians 2,000 years before Jesus. The Babylonians would celebrate a new year, and they would have a resolution. And most of the time, it's returning farm equipment. Things have changed since then. But the Romans adopted it. And then, they, and then the Romans did something Romans like to do because they're in charge of things. They moved the date of New Year's. Can you imagine living through that? One year you have this calendar and the next year it's completely changed and in a different order. That's how it was in the year 45. For in the year 46, that's when the Romans adopted the Julian calendar and January 1st became the official day of the new year, which we still use to this date. Now, I 
personally find New Year's resolutions to be quite fascinating, interesting, really. Because you can go around and talk to people about their New Year's resolutions and ask them, do you have a New Year's resolution? And, and, and you'll get a couple of different answers. So someone will be really excited to share with you their New Year's resolution. They are gung-ho about the new year, the new you. And, and they are ready to march forward with it. And then there's others who are a bit reluctant to share, maybe because of, of past failures or because they were begrudgingly put into making one. And then there's another category, the ones who don't even make New Year's resolutions. And when you talk to them, it's not because they simply don't make them. It's because they've made them and failed enough times to where they no longer see the point in making a New Year's resolution. But New Year's resolutions, on, on one hand, are, are an amazing thing. They demonstrate uh, this great ambition we have. And, and, and most resolutions have a great ambition to to be filled and motivated by the fruits of the Spirit. Because we, when we look at resolutions, we can look at them in the, in the light of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness. And here's the kicker, self-control, right? That's, that's mainly New Year's resolutions there involving a ton of self-control. Now, that's one side of New Year's resolutions. The other side of New Year's resolutions is that they also involve quite a bit of pride and ego in making them, right? Because essentially what we are declaring, not only to ourselves, but to our, our loved ones, our family, our friends, and anybody who will listen, we make a, a public declaration of that we are either going to start doing something or we're going to stop doing something. And most of the time, I can't say all of the time, but most of the time, these are met with only our mortal efforts. Only our own fleshly efforts are put into them. And folks, Jesus just told his disciples, our flesh is weak. It's weak. And so, as we encounter the scripture today, we see the disciples, and mainly we'll see Peter and James and John, the, the three uh, almost inner circle of the disciples, and, and Jesus. They've gone up to the Mount of Olives after celebrating the Passover, and, and now they're going around into a garden of Gethsemane. And as they're getting there, Jesus tells them, you're all going to fall away. You're going to scatter. You're going to deny me. You're not going to be part of me. You're going to fall away. Well, Peter pipes up. They might, but I won't, he declares. Now that, that is a resolution, isn't it? The declaration of that. But it's also filled with extreme hubris and made with such bravado. And when we see Peter and James and John, we see them with this posture of hubris because we remember James and John, the sons of thunder, as they're nicknamed. Earlier in chapter 12, they're the ones who approach Jesus and say, we want to sit at your right hand and your left hand. And then Jesus asks them, well, can you drink the cup that I drink from? Can you be baptized in the baptism I am baptized into? And with great arrogance, they say, yes, we can. They had no idea what they were talking about. 
but believed that they could do it. They believed in themselves. They insisted they could do what Jesus did. And so there's, and then we have Peter exclaiming that he'll never fall away. If I'm going to die with you, I will never deny you. Now we can look at Peter and James and John and note how noble and well-intentioned those resolutions are. However, they are done in that posture of hubris, a will of their flesh, something that they intended to do on their own by their own sheer will, that they could handle this. And then we see Jesus. Jesus agonizing in prayer in the garden in a posture of of physical and spiritual humility, falling to the ground. He he says, he tells the disciples before he enters the garden, he, he goes, my soul is sorrowful, so sorrowful to the point of death. Like Jesus is, is sitting here worried he is going to die in the garden and not make it to the cross because he is overcome with grief from the cup that he is to drink from, this cup which contains the sin of man and the wrath of God that is coming in mere hours. He is overcome with the the grief of bearing everyone's sin. And he's afraid right then it will all end instead of making it to the cross. Hebrews 5, chapter 7 says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications, with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Hebrews notes there that Jesus was crying out in that garden. He was so overcome and stricken with the grief that was coming to him on the cross that he he felt like and believed that this might be the end here, that he wouldn't make it to the cross. And so he, he, he prays. He says, take this cup from me. This hour, may it pass. So as he's going into the Garden of Gethsemane, he asked Peter and James and John, the three with the big bravado, and, and, and say, why don't you stay awake and watch? Stay awake and watch. And they couldn't even do that. They couldn't even stay awake and watch despite his loud, agonizing prayer. Again, it's the author in Hebrews that tells us that, that it was loud cries and tears and, and shouts in his prayer in this garden. This loud prayer of, take this cup, this hour, that Jesus would pray. And as Jesus was nearer and nearer to the cross, feeling the weight of, the sin of man upon him. He's begging for it to be taken away in that moment. He goes to the Father. He says, I know all things are possible through you. And then Jesus asked for it to be removed. He didn't insist. Right? If we, if we can gather tone out of written word, we can see that Jesus isn't insisting that this be taken away. 
like James and John insisted they could drink from the cup and have the same baptism as Jesus, the way that Peter insisted that he would never deny Jesus, but rather Jesus is in this posture of humility. Yet not what I will be prayed, what you will. He didn't insist. Jesus doesn't insist on his own way, but welcomes the will of God to be done. You know, at New Year's, especially at New Year's, we we all have a plan for 2022, a a will of of how our life will go forward. And, And it often involves success as easy as possible. Truth is, God's will is probably different than the resolutions we make. For we have the habit of often looking to the world and striving to get the things from the world that we want. And God's will is that we would strive towards him. That we would strive in our sanctification of daily growing in grace. That we would strive towards obedience and patience, and love, and humility. And that it would involve suffering. Our New Year's resolutions don't involve much terrible suffering. God promises that to us. We never really think about the suffering that Jesus warns us of and promises until it comes upon us in our lives and we're there in that moment suffering. And Jesus in that garden was suffering so badly. He was falling down. Falling down in prayer. Seeking only the Father in heaven. For God's will involves suffering and always requires our reliance on him. See, we can't do this on our own. We can't do this on our own. That's what makes the the joke about New Year's resolutions on January 2nd so funny. It's because we've tried doing things on our own and we've lasted 24 hours. We can't do this on our own. This is is what Christmas was about. We need a Savior. Emmanuel, God with us. And he came. And so we listen to Jesus pray in the Garden of Gethsemane, gathered here, and we hear Jesus point us to God's ultimate goodness, Trusting that his plan is greater than our plan, that his thoughts are better than our thoughts, that his word is better than our words, and trust in him. That it's not about, I'm going to step on your toes here, it's not about our personal happiness. It's about faithfulness to God for his glory. 
And I believe that's a good place to start the new year. That with God's help, because the good Lord knows we all need it so desperately, we will be faithful to him. That with the Lord's help, faithfulness to him, it looks like a hunger and a thirst for the things of our Father. It it looks like a life dedicated in prayer to our Father because we want to communicate with him. It looks like a life with a hunger and a thirst for his word because it's in his word that we find life and light of the world revealed to us. Faithfulness to God, it's like obedience, that when our plan and his plan come at a fork in the road, like Jesus, we can humbly say, not my will, but yours. Amen. And so as we prepare to come to the Lord's table, I I mentioned briefly as a a joke, it's a new year, so it's a new you, new me, right? It's it's all the talks. We're about to be inundated with with brand new self-help books that come out there. All the talk shows are going to have 15 ways to have a better 2022 than a 2021 and, and all of these steps. But what we know as Christians is that an arbitrary flip of a calendar from December 31st to January 1st did not create in us a new being. Only Jesus did that. That all new beginnings come from Jesus. For John writes at the beginning of his gospel in the first chapter, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word made creation. There's a new beginning. And then we just got done celebrating Christmas in which the word put on flesh to bring us into a new covenant to where we do not have to do it on our own, that we do now have a savior. And he goes to the cross, shedding shedding his blood for our forgiveness so that when Jesus comes into our heart and we come into faith, we are born again. That's when the new you began. Now, as we mature, there's sanctification that goes, and and there's things God works on. But our new beginning, our new self, doesn't come with the arbitrary flip of a calendar. It comes with what Christ accomplished on the cross. And so we will hold on to the bread and we'll drink from the cup, and we'll remember how Jesus created new life in us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we gather at your table this morning to give thanks to you and to celebrate the gospel, that that you would come and live and, and die on the cross so that we would have new life, and that you would find us in the midst of our rebellion. 
And because of you, we would be born again, born anew. And so, Lord, as we hold this bread and this cup, we ask that you bless it to nourish our souls and to strengthen us for the days ahead so that we have the strength to continue to lift our eyes upon Jesus, who is our light and our life. For it's in him that we pray. Amen.